I find that like in recruitment, but also like in everything I do in HR, people have opinions and kind of sometimes forget like a real job. It's not just me thinking stuff. I mean, sometimes it's just me thinking stuff, but uh. (laughs) you've got to. Welcome to How We Hire, a podcast by Alva Labs with me, Linnea, licensed psychologist and head of people. This show is for all of you who hire or just find recruitment interesting. In every episode, I will speak with thought leaders from across the globe to learn from their experiences and best practices within hiring, building teams and growing organizations. Welcome to another episode of How We Hire. Our guest on today's episode is Grace Woods. Grace has a true passion for recruiting and is currently leading the talent management function at e-contract platform OneFlow. In her current role, Grace has an overarching focus on improving the recruitment effort and making sure it's both candidate-centric and measurable. But she also knows firsthand the struggle of getting everyone involved and aligned. That's why we will focus on exactly that today. How on earth do we actually get everyone on board with our hiring practices? Welcome to How We Hire Grace. Thank you for having me. Lovely to talk to you. So first things first, I have heard that you're a recruitment nerd. So you're, I guess, in good company. Why is this like a passion of yours? That's a big question, I think. But as you probably know, recruiting is, I mean, everybody does it. Everybody has it in their role if they're up in the hiring manager uh, seats. But it's also something that's actually quite scary for a lot of people. So, I mean, anything from your first job to a C-level job, people are quite nervous in interviews. So one of my passions is kind of breaking the walls down and getting them comfortable and calm and at ease in their interviews, because then that's when you get the best out of them. And I like to try and push that on other people so they make a calm experience as well. Because I think a lot of people in hiring still try to to make it scary and, you know, intimidating to try and create some kind of power balance. But that's not when you get the best out of people. So that's why I like to do it anyway, to try and uh, recreate that space. Mm, I love that you take like the candidate perspective and take their uh, like seats in this process. I think yeah. Yeah, it's an important aspect. Okay, so you're working at OneFlow. For those that doesn't know what OneFlow, what the hell they're doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are they doing? So we are a digital contract platform or a digital, anything that needs signing, essentially. And we've put it all in one place. So I will keep it very, very short and concise. Um, but it's an e-signing tool as well as a place where you can create contracts collaborate in them, uh, send them, store them, sign them, all the rest of it, um, which is a little bit different to to our competitors. I mean, over the last years, that OneFlow has grown a lot, right? Yes. I mean, I started in October last year and we've doubled since then. But I think four years ago, we were still at 15 people and sharing an office with three other companies in Stockholm and very startupy then. Um, but yeah, we're at just over 180 now. That's fantastic. What a massive um, journey. Yeah. And we can obviously talk a lot about the efforts around that, but I mean, let's focus (laughs) on recruitment for the context. So what does the recruitment process look like? How did you manage to go from 15 to 180 in a successful way? Yes. Well, I could only talk for the last year-ish, 
Um, but we're quite agile with it, to be honest. But usually how it looks, do you want the whole process starts to finish? Please, please. So uh, it starts with the the application then. So it's the talent acquisition team and or the hiring manager that will screen them. And then they have a people interview that focuses on basic screening of the role and a culture contribution to OneFlow. But we are a culture and value first company. So that interview is really, really important to have first. And then they would do an Alva Labs assessment. And following that, depending on the seniority of the role, they would jump straight into a case assignment and then have a final interview with the hiring manager and somebody else maybe for about an hour to an hour and a half. And then we would review all of these steps and then it would be either an offer or uh, feedback on why we're not giving them an offer. Mm, Nice. And if we dissect this a bit, you said first step is you screen the candidates. Like, How does that process look like? What do you look for? Depending on the role. So we have done a a startup meeting before we've opened the role with the hiring managers. And I say to my team, after this startup meeting, you need to be able to either write a a job advert and pretty much do the job. Uh, So we need to know every single thing about this position. So then when we're looking at the CVs in the the screening process and the application questions, for example, we're looking at to see if the candidate fits the the very, very basic things. So does their CV say what we're looking for? Is there anything that we can maybe ask them in the interview that they don't have on there? And what can we dig deeper in? So that's how we screen them. And we just book a people interview straight away from that. Mm. So it sounds like super closely tied to what's like needed in the job. And it also sounds like, or let me know if I'm reading too much into it here, that it's not like a long list of requirement, but rather like the actual need to haves. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So we don't really work with nice to have, so we don't post them on adverts anyway, because I think they can be problematic for minorities of people applying. So the yes, the absolute must-haves um, in the CV. Is it somewhat similar to what we need or is it completely off? Mm, right. And you said you had like screening questions or in some way, how does that look like? I think that's often something like a lot of people are using, but it's super hard. And I often get like questions on what should you actually ask for? So do you want to share some examples? Well, I think with these and this, I have a a huge opinion on cover letters as well. So we kind of tie the same thing in together. But one of our mandatory questions on all roles which did take me a little bit of getting used to as a person from the UK, is tell us why you're awesome. And oh. this question is is not really anything to do with the job, of course. Some people answer it as, as so, but we're looking for personality. We're mm-hmm. looking for, is this person, you know, what have they got to bring to the teams? And the same with cover letters. As a recruiter, you read so many applications. So if somebody's got just an ounce of personality in these application questions or in the the cover letter, I mean, I've booked an interview just because the application questions were funny. Mm. Like, I want to speak to this person just because to find out what was going on in their mind when they were writing these answers. So it does help. It does help in in terms of that. Mm. So then it sounds like, you're not necessarily evaluating if it's a good fit for the role or not. It's just like, will this be a culture ad? That one, that the tell us why you're awesome, definitely. Yeah. But then some hiring managers do tailor them to tell us what the ideal blah, blah, blah process looks like to right. you. 
just so it's a little bit easier to screen or if they can, if you're not going to see something in a CV, for example, so they might not have projects. So what projects have you been involved in mostly? And they might write a little bit about that. But some companies like to use application questions, some don't, and they do it in the first interview. But I think it's it's easier because then you've got the CV and the application questions to kind of pull things from in that first meeting. Mm, mm. And do you see like a risk of favoring funny candidates? Mm, potentially, yeah. Yeah. But then we do have a focus at OneFlow on biases as well. Yeah. So we are trying to implement a bias training for hiring managers. And because we're at the forefront of all of this, we have it in in mind. And I mean, if somebody was completely, the CV was so off with no experience and they were hilarious, I always write in my rejection email, I loved reading the answers to your application questions. However, if I did, not if I didn't, and they were boring. (laughs) No lies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, never. (laughs) Okay. And then you said like next step is then a like culture or people interview. I can't remember now the the phrase that you used. Yeah. What uh, happens there? So in that interview, I tell people, usually we will go through OneFlow a little bit as a company and a product. Then I'll find out a bit about them. And then the second half of the interview, which should be about half an hour, 35 minutes, is the the culture part, which is my favorite bit to do, where we focus on our values and how we work at OneFlow. Mm. So the first little bit would be those basic screening questions again. And that part is just to make the second interview easier for the hiring manager. So they have a bit more into, uh, information, sorry, than the what's on the CV. But the most of the interview is the the values that we go mm. through. And how do you evaluate them? Do you like have a predefined set of questions or what does it look like? So we work with a semi-structured interview process. So we have... A lot of questions that we can ask, but we don't ask the same ones all the time. It's maybe depending on the conversation. But the way I do it, and it works really, really well, is if I'm explaining one of the values at OneFlow, I explain a working example of how that value shows up in the way we work or in the offices or anything like that. And then they're like, oh, oh it actually is a, a concrete thing that they're actually practicing. And then they give me one of their examples of how that's shown up in their life. And I think it is a little bit different because the feedback I hear from candidates is that companies usually just tell you the value and say, okay, so how are you resilient? And that's it. And they don't hear, you know, how people are, if resilient was the example in this company that they're interviewing for. Mm. So it's nice. It's nice to give them something back, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to make it more concrete and more transparent. Mm -hmm. And I think, okay, so one thing that like, I struggle with sometimes is, I mean, you obviously want to have like a bias free or, uh, you know, eliminate as much bias as possible and get like a lot of like diversity. And, but you also want people that actually want to work for the company that you represent, right? How often do you like reject versus um, move forward with people from the um, culture interview? We are quite thorough with how we score them. Um, We do have somebody that's focused on diversity and inclusion, and she is obsessed with scorecards. So evaluating the same candidates for the same things, and it works really well. So we have rejected based on the, the people interview, but that is because 
I mean, when you have such a strong culture in anywhere, you're kind of attuned to it. And I'm not going to say gut feeling. We've we've got rid of the unreflected gut feeling at OneFlow. But it's like when you ask them a question about this value and then they give you something that's maybe it doesn't align or it's not what you meant. And, and we ask again if it was if it was not really the right thing. So, you know, you know, if they're just telling you what, what you want to hear or they just say, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Mm. And it's like, um, kind of asked you for an example of how that shows up in your life. But so, yeah, we have rejected, but it's most of them, I think, really, really want to work with us. And they do have similar values, but it's something we do take quite seriously to retain the culture anyway. Yeah. And I think the upside would for sure be this kind of like psychological contract where you early in the process set the expectations Mm. for the candidate. Like this is what it's going to be like. Yeah. If that's like something you found interesting, Mm. then let's proceed. But if it's, I mean, it's a, you know, decision from both ends, of course. Mm. Yeah, definitely. But to give it an example then. So one of our values is in it together. And um, this, it shows up every single day. There's not one person that will, won't do something for somebody else. But you find that sometimes people, they don't want to, startups and scale-ups aren't for everyone. Some people want to just come to work, do the job and go home. Mm. And that shows up actually in their, in their answers. So um, maybe the question something around doing something for somebody else that's nothing part of your, not to do with your role or helping somebody from another team that wasn't really your job. And the examples don't really reflect the question. So, and you can tell it's not something they they want to do or they're not going to want to put up a, a bookcase with a drill at half past nine in the morning. They want to get on with the job. So things like that, it's like, well, I wouldn't really want to put them in that environment then if they're going to be uncomfortable with it. So it's a two-way thing, I would say. Yeah. Mm. And then you said like, okay, it's the people interview and then you had psychometric tests. Yeah. Um, how do you use that? Mm. We don't have a hard line with these, really. And we always tell the candidates that we wouldn't use them alone as something to move on or reject with. So this, because they've come after the first interview, I know Alva's recommendation is to do it beforehand, but we like to speak to them as well. So we've got the notes from the interview and then the psychometric scores. So if it was a high score, for example, that's nothing we just move on with it and um, I tend not to look too much into the results and tell the hiring managers not to do so until the final interview if they desperately want to see the ins and outs of it but if it's a, a low score then we would look into it and then if not if it wasn't a fit at all based on the result and that the interview wasn't that strong then we would reject them mm, mm. so it sounds like not looking for perfection but rather like looking for something that is in line with what you're looking for in combination with other things and not like overanalyze. Yes. Yeah. And then you said case. Yes. So we have a, a work sample for all roles at OneFlow. I don't know how common that is actually. At the and moment. we do it too. I, it's the bomb. I think yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. And this is a bit up and down as well, depending on the role. So I try to tell hiring managers in the startup meetings that they don't need to be a quarterly plan. They don't need to spend three weeks on it. Just a few hours of a work sample, something you want to highlight in this role that they can spend three or four days on all the same. It's not it's not random. <laughs> Depending on the role, they get three or four days, I think. And then they would send it back. And that's a review step. 
So um, this can be, we tell the candidates, you know, try and get everything that you want to say in the, um, if you want to write a little write-up after it, that's fine. But it's not a guaranteed interview. That is a review step. Mm, nice. So say if it's a graphic designer, for example, they would send in their assignment that would be reviewed and then they either get invited for a final interview or feedback on why they've not been invited for the interview. And then depending on that, the final interview should essentially focus on something else, maybe deeper into their experience. But we do give them a bit of time to explain what they did in the case and why they did the certain things. So that's why it's an hour and a half, that last one. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Uh, nice. And then like the decision is that up to the hiring manager to make based on like everything or how does the decision making process look? Yes. So we've already told the hiring manager that they are a culture contribution to OneFlow based on the values. They have all the values. They have the basic stuff. They've reviewed the case. So that's the hiring team that would review the case. And then in the final interview, they're evaluating the deeper experience and the team contribution. So are they going to get on with my team? So the team shouldn't really be decision makers in this part. It is just the hiring manager, which is either uh, the team manager or the department manager sometimes that's deciding. But we would have a discussion sometimes. So they might come back and say, did you see this in your interview? Because I didn't see it so much or they didn't look too motivated. And this is a big one, actually, because we've had it multiple times where they've been absolutely fine in, in my interview like shining <laughs> and then they've got to the final one and they're terrified so they've said they looked really really shy like what was going on and I was like I don't know why because they were swearing in my interview and they were <laughs> the, uh, in the first one so I am trying to have a bit of a conversation now about how we're presenting ourselves in the final interview because it, as I said at the start that's when you get the best out of people when they're comfortable so if you want to swear at the start of the interview please do it because it sets the tone <laughs> I think that's great advice. I love it. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, how different is this process from like the process that OneFlow had like early days? Mm. Early, early days, I'm not sure. I've only been here just over a year. But before I joined in tech, especially because I was the first tech recruiter, there was a people interview that focused mostly on culture. And then there was a second stage interview with the hiring managers or the CTO, which was basic screening. Then it was a case. Then it was a third interview. And then it was a decision. And I came in and I thought, this is so long. Right. It's so long. It's going to take over a month. The tech department has a five-day case assignment. So it was taking like two months to hire people. So one of the first things I did was put those first two interviews in the same one which was um, I did the basic tech screening because I, I understood how to evaluate them on that and the culture interview in the first one. And then we went to the case and then we did a final interview and it was flying after that. Mm. So then I was thinking, why don't we roll this out to marketing and the other departments that we're hiring for? Sales was a bit different. We did have to do three interviews for sales because the final interview was a complete presentation. Ah, uh, Okay. Mm. So that one's a bit different, but the other teams have worked really, really well with a bit of here and there. We do need a third interview, depending on seniority and things like that. Uh, or C-level people is a completely different process, but that's another conversation. <laughs> that's another beast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so, but yeah, it's worked amazingly well. And I think when you have a strong process, you don't need to meet the same person five times just to confirm what you already think in the first time you've met them. So yeah, that's what we're trying to teach at the moment. Yeah. And like, how did people react to that? Like cutting down steps, making it shorter. Did people love you or freak out? (laughs) It was a discussion. Definitely. Some people, yeah, they just went, do what you want. You do it. If it works, whatever. If it doesn't, we'll change it back. But some people really, really clung on to that second interview because <laughs> they it's what you know. It's the way that they've hired for years. As I say, everybody's got their own hiring styles and it's not so natural to people to think, okay, I'll meet this person once and then we'll give them an offer and then that's it. But it's not once. It's somebody else from the, the company has met them and then they've done a work sample and they've done the psychometric tests. And there's so much data that we can have that there's a lot of focus on this meeting where there shouldn't be really. It's it's all of the data and the steps that we've done should contribute to the, the big picture, I think. Mm. I think this is really interesting. And just like thinking out loud, it feels like recruitment processes are so hard to change because people have super strong opinions. Yeah. They don't trust the process. And I guess they don't trust like either someone else or themselves because they want to measure the same thing like a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. Like in your mind, is it something like unique with hiring that makes it harder to change? Or is this just like, nah, people being people? I think because everybody is involved in it. So it's like, I don't have any decisions on on the tech department because I'm not a developer. But if I was developing my own website every day or my own web-based application every day, I would probably have some opinions on what they need to do and how they need to do it. And I think that's why everybody is so involved in the discussion, because when you become a hiring manager, you expect to become an expert in recruitment as well. And it's just not the case. So I personally think that they're just used to what they're used to. And if it works and they, they see that it works, it's like, okay, let's leave it. Let's leave it like that because it's worked up to now. And it's just, it's a bit scary to do something new. In my opinion, so I'm a psychologist. Yeah. And it feels like everything like people related. Yeah. People have like super strong opinions because they're like, oh, I'm a people person. I know this. I understand this. I've done this before. I would never step into the like developers and or the engineers here at Alva and say like, oh, I have a hunch that uh, we should do this uh, in a different way. Yeah. I have no clue. But it feels like since it's something that you can sort of have an opinion on, it's like allowed. Yeah. Uh, And I find that like in recruitment, but also like in everything I do in HR, people have opinions and kind of sometimes forget like a real job. It's not just me thinking stuff. I mean, sometimes it's just me thinking stuff, but uh, (laughs) you've got to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's interesting. Okay, so there were some discussions. Some people were fine with jumping on it. What were the reactions when you had tried it for a bit? To be honest, we just saw it working. There was no, we do retrospectives as well after we close roles because one of our other values is beat yesterday. So we do try to improve constantly. So we do these retrospectives to see like what went well, what didn't go so well. But to be honest, we've been hiring like this for over a year now and 
I don't think anybody that that we've recruited in that way has has left or not passed their probation. So it does take six months, I think, to actually see if it's working like that when the hiring manager has met them once and decided they're a good fit for the team. But it's worked really well. Mm, that's a fantastic statistic that yeah. everyone that you've hired like this is still with the company. Gold stars. Okay, so, I mean, when you joined there was a draft for a recruitment playbook that you kind of finalized and rolled out. Can't you just tell us a little bit about like what's in it? How do you use it? Yeah. So the recruitment playbook was actually written by the people experience team now. And what it was, it was just getting on paper the whole process. So everything that comes into recruiting. So from how we open a role to the retrospective. So every single step, uh, and it's not so much for, for us, we do it day in, day out in the talent acquisition team, but it's for hiring managers. So if they need to refer to where how they open a new role, they've thought of a, a new role in the team. What do I do now? Would do I run over to Grace and say, can you open this role? No, you don't. They do. <laughs> you, you go to the recruitment playbook and you find the little bit that says what to do when you want to open a new role. So literally every single step like that. So when they're interviewing, what to focus on and how to write feedback and how to use the scorecards and literally everything you can think about in recruitment should be in this document. But it's from start to finish, step by step. It helps to uh, for them to refer to if they need to remember. So to be honest, I don't think it was actually difficult to get everybody on board because the in it together that I mentioned before is the values are so strong at OneFlow, it's insane. So when a department says, this is what our department's doing, most of the time everyone's like, amazing, let's do it. Oh, there was a tiny bit of teething problems with when we removed an interview or when we removed references was a big one. Or when we removed, don't use the unreflected gut feeling. Oh my God, it was chaos. But things like that, were those were the teething problems, but the actual process and getting people on board with how we hire was not really difficult at all. Again, I think this is just something people are used to. And in Sweden, especially, I've noticed that references are so different than the UK or in France or in Germany, where I've had to hire before. So Sweden, it's like you want to be best friends with them in that reference call and find out who their ex-boyfriend is, if they liked them or not. Like, it's insane how much information you get It's called. But, but I entered the team, the team and I, we were trying to tell people that if the process is so strong, we've got all of this information, we've got data, we've got psychometric tests, we've got a work sample, we've got two interviews, we've got a month of time spent on this person. And now we're going to call somebody that we've never met and we're confident on this person. We want to hire them. We want to confirm with a human being. That's the thing. We want a human being to tell us that we're right now. Uh, so we call somebody that we've never met, that we don't know, that might be the best friend. It might be their mom. Say, Am I-, I don't know. And then they say, yeah, you're doing the right thing. And it's like, okay, cool. Whatever. We'll hire them. But based on things we can't control. So if they're having a bad day or if they didn't like they were leaving or something like that. And you call them and they say, well, no, actually they were late all the time and they weren't really motivated that much and blah, blah, blah. And all these things that you pull out and dig deeper and get all this information. And then we change the whole opinion based on this random person that we don't even know. And my argument is that, okay, if we're going to take them, take them at the start. So we save a month 
and we don't need it because if we're just going to use one thing based on all of the data that we've collected, what's the point? So we don't take them anymore. We've told the hiring managers they can if they want to, but they don't. Okay, now I guess I want to give you a taste of your own medicine. So you ask your candidates why you're awesome. So now I need to ask you, like, why are you awesome as a recruiter? As a recruiter? Okay. Mm -hmm. I think my, if we can say superpower in a cliche, yeah, recruitment superpower, um, is that I do I do try to to break people down to a best friend level. So, I mean, I'm not going to tell you my success stories of, of recruiting interviews, but they really appreciate it. And they appreciate having somebody who's not telling them all of the nice things and, and painting everything in, in rainbow colors, essentially. So I do tell them what's going wrong. I tell them if I'm late to an interview, it's not often, but I'd be like, oh my God, you won't believe what happened this morning. I'm going to tell you anyway, before we get into it, before we get into it, <laughs> I need to tell you what's going on with me. And they just, you just see them like calm down, but try and if you're interviewing and you do want to do this, I would say try and find some kind of common ground with not similar attraction bias, but um, in terms of what you can talk about, that's nothing to do with the interview to get them a bit more comfortable. Mm. I personally think I'm great at that. So mm, then, I mean, no one's going <laughs> to say no. So then that no, will, uh, hopefully be, not. <laughs> <laughs> that will be the truth. But I think you raise a really, really important aspect where, I mean, let's face it, the successful recruiter is mm. kind of like a salesperson, right? You exactly. need to sell the role, yeah. but you can't oversell it because then people will jump ship once they join. And I think being a really, truly successful recruiter means that you need to build relationship. Yeah. And the examples that you give, like sharing like vulnerabilities and being super transparent with stuff that's not related to the actual job, but also related to the job, of course, can be a like highway into creating that relationship. Yeah, exactly. And I have, I think I've made like four friends of interviewing them, rejecting them. They don't work at one floor anymore, yeah. but they're like, okay, I call them every time I reject somebody that I've met. And it's always, it's so positive because of the relationship that we had in the first interview. So it's not a hard call at all. And I'm always like, oh my God, it would have been so fun to work with them, every single one of them. And then they're like, we should go for a beer. They're like, yeah, we should go for a beer. Let's do it. Oh my God. I'll follow you on LinkedIn. Let's plan it. Let's do it. So I'm still yet to go for a, a wine in Norway. I hear a lot of people talking about that you need to wine and dine with the candidates, but that's to get them like in the process. Yeah. You <laughs> flipped it around. <laughs> I love that. I think one of my best interviews was when I was going to explain how I was to work at Alva. And I said like, oh yeah, it's so fun. I nearly pee my pants every day. And the candidate, like he laughed so bad. And he like now, like, I don't know, a year and a half later, <laughs> we still like meet up every now and then. He didn't end up uh, getting the job either. But that he keeps coming back to that. Yeah, so yeah. apparently that was uh, unexpected to talk yeah, about. It's, it's human though. That's the red between it all. If mm -hmm. you're a, a normal person, a human normal person, I mean, and you just treat them like that instead of a robot interviewer that's I'm higher than you and you want the job, you also need them. As an interviewer, you need them as much as they need you. So as soon as you're on that level with them, they're like, oh, this is nothing I've ever had before in my life. And they remember it. I think that's why they remember it. Yeah. And it's an easy win, right? Exactly. So my send home message would be talk about pee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's an unexpected recruiter tip. 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's uh, try to wrap things up then. We've talked a lot about like how you have made the process like more efficient, more you know, data-driven and objective, like helped save time, but also like challenged the organization in how they view different aspects of recruitment process and how they should should view it, I guess. Yeah. And then sprinkle that with a lot of candidate-centric interactions. I think that sounds like a great recipe for a, a successful company building. Yes, I would say so. And to be honest, if things weren't working, I would talk about those as well and say, we have had bumps in the road with hiring. We've changed processes halfway through. I think that's the best part is that they are so on board. As long as you're open-minded and on board with, if this doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. Like we yeah. are still in a corporate job. Let's all calm down. We can change it back. <laughs> and I think keep that in mind and you'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. And I think that's mic drop on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Grace, for visiting How We Hire. It's been an absolute pleasure to learn from you and talk about your experiences. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Thank you everyone else for listening. Hope to talk to you again in two weeks for another episode of How We Hire. Oh, 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 oh,